Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining online, I'm glad you're with us. 2022, we're about the 50th anniversary of the Watergate scandal. Break in at a hotel, cover up, brought down uh, the Nixon administration. There were a lot of players in that, certainly President Richard Nixon, Secretary of State John Dean, Attorney General John Mitchell, H.R. Haldeman. And, and I would argue that most of these people, as far as I know, were deceased, and, and their influence is gone. It's cut off. But there's one in there whose influence is still going, and I will argue will go into eternity. His name is Chuck Colson. Colson was special assistant to the president. He was right next to Nixon, and he was kind of Nixon's hatchet man. Well, as the scandal and his cover-up breaks, Colson comes to faith. And he said, I can no longer lie. So he goes into court and he said, yeah, I was involved in obstruction of justice. And his honesty was, was rewarded with seven months in prison. Now, Colson went from the office next to the president to a prison cell. That is going from power to powerless. Why would What's the value? Why would anybody make that choice? Well, in those seven months in prison, uh, God gave Colson a vision for prison reform. And out of that was birth prison fellowship. And all along the way, Colson wrote 30 books. One of those was Born Again. It was his testimony. And I was 18 months into my faith journey, and I read that, and that solidified my belief. Five years after reading that, I was part of a mission organization called Campus Crusade. We've got 5,000 full-time missionaries in Moby Jim in Fort Collins, and we've got a main speaker, and that main speaker is who? It's Chuck Colson. Colson's impact, even though he's been deceased 10 years, continues, and I argue will continue. But it started from a place of powerlessness. But that's not an outlier. I would argue that's God's M.O., raising powerless people to positions of power. I want to talk about that today. So you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and we're going to go through the, or we're going to wrestle with this question, what is the hope of powerlessness? What is the hope of powerlessness? Now, if you weren't with us, uh, Samuel, 1st Samuel, is uh, the transition where Israel goes from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. Uh, and there's three main characters in this. There's the, the prophet Samuel, there's the first king Saul, and the second king David. And we began that last week in obscurity with this guy, Elkanah. He had two wives. One was Penina, one was Hannah. Penina was conceiving children, Hannah was not. We talked about the fact in that culture, if a woman couldn't produce children, she was considered useless, and on top of that, Penina would taunt Hannah because of her barrenness. And in her pain, she made a decision, I'm going to seek the Lord, and, and she found satisfaction in him before the promise of a child. And he, she said, even if, Lord, if, if you give me a child, I will forego the benefits of that child, and I will give them back to you. And indeed, the Lord visited her, and she had a child, Samuel, and she weaned him, and he's in the temple now ministering with the 
prophet Eli. And so Hannah expresses her gratitude, her joy in a prayer, starting in verse 1. It says, then Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Horn is is a synonym for power. And there's a bookend here. We see that in verse 1, and we'll see it again at the end of her prayer in verse 10, when she says, and he will exalt the horn, the power of his anointed bookend. God is anointing, raising up the powerless. And we see this because her son Samuel, well, he comes from a family of obscurity. And she, uh, God will raise Hannah's son to be the voice of God through this transition. He is the prophet. And kings will be wise to listen to the word of God that comes from him, and they will be brought down when they don't. That is from a lad who had no pedigree. But that's not the only place. Later, Samuel will anoint the first king, Saul, so it won't do so well in following God. And he'll come time to anoint the new king, and he'll go see this guy named Jesse. And Jesse's got a bunch of sons. And they will call out the sons, and, and, and uh, Samuel will go right down. Son, no, 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 no. Is that it? Is that it? Well, we got one more, but he's, he's ruddy and small, and he's a shepherd boy. He's out doing the sheep. Why, why don't you go get him? Well, that shepherd boy's name was David. And he didn't have the look, apparently, to be a king, but he would be Israel's greatest king. This is ultimately seen in Jesus. Early in Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, one disciple was talking to another and was deciding that he was, Jesus was the son of God. And the other one said, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a backwater. Would God raise up his prophet from a backwater? And and then he was the son of a carpenter. That wasn't necessarily a powerful trade. And then the book of Isaiah said there was nothing about Jesus that was attractive, but God raised him up. So this is not isolated. This is God's MO, raising the powerlessness to power. Um, verse, second part of verse 1, Hannah said, My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. And trust me, she had an enemy in the other wife who taunted her, because I rejoice in your salvation. Verse 2, there's no one holy like the Lord. Holy is set apart. There's a group, and there's holy, he's set apart. God is set apart. Second part of verse 2, and there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Rock is a metaphor for stability throughout the Bible. Anybody ever been through an earthquake? Okay, a few of you have. I hadn't been until uh, 1997. We were home for my brother's, younger brother's wedding, and we were going back. We were missionaries in Chile. And uh, doorstep to doorstep, that's a 24-hour flight, and we were on our 22nd floor apartment. We were kind of tired, and it felt like the apartment's moving. And then my wife said, it's an earthquake. Earthquake? I get up and I run to the elevators, and I thought, yeah, that's not a good idea to go down the 22nd floor. So I, I run to the stairs. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to get down if this building goes. So I run back in the apartment. Hope, what should I do? Well, I heard it's good. She's laying on the bed. I heard it's good to go back in the bathroom, and then it stopped. I don't know. It's 20, 30 seconds, maybe. But I will never forget that feeling of trying. Can, 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 can somebody give me some stable ground here? Watch your stability. Is it your job? 
Is it your spouse? Is it your popularity at school, your position, your, your, I mean, your first chair, your starting quarter? Careful. Careful, that can be taken away. So God's calling us to find our stability, our power, our worth in him. There's a telltale sign. Not the only, but one that thinks we might be off, and we see it in verse 3. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. You know what boasting says? You know what, you know what arrogance says? Hey, 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 look at me. Look at me. I need my worth in you valuing me. If you heard me speak before, you know I'm a football fan, and there's a play where they, they, they sack the quarterback. They rush the quarterback, quarterback to throw, and, and they bring him down. And often when that happened, the guy who makes the sack comes out from the crowd, and he thumps his chest, or he lifts his arms. Celebrate me, just in case you missed it. 80 grand in the stands, and TV audience, I made the play. I want to come out from the crowd. What is that? I want you to recognize I'm great because my worth is in that. Through Hannah's prayer, God's saying, careful, careful. Why? Second part of verse 3. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. Now, there's a, a lot of reason we need to hear this word. But one of them is we live in a world in which the powerful trample the powerless. The strong beat up on the weak. The resourced take advantage of those who don't have resources. I could go on. And the message of God's word is he's working a reversal. Careful. He's working a reversal. So here we go, verses 4 and 5. He says, the bows of the mighty are shattered. Those are instruments of war. The powerful, your, your, your instruments of war are gone. But the feeble, the weak, they, they gird on strength. Those who were full, man, they had more to eat. Then all of a sudden, themselves, hired themselves out for bread. And those who were hungry ceased to hunger. That's Israel's story as a nation. They were enslaved under Egypt, the most powerful army in the world, and God said, I'm going to do something, and Israel said, really? How's this going to happen? Well, I need you to listen to Moses. Okay. And with no army, no resources, no weapons, God brings them out into this promised land. And I think the end of verse 5, we get even a little bit of Hannah speaking personally. Even the barren gives birth to seven. But she has many children, languages. God brings this reversal. And ask a question. We're titling this message Reliant. And it's raising a question on what are you relying for stability? Is it this gathering of power? And we've intentionally taken self and nixed it. 
It's been your job. It's in your boyfriend. It's in your spouse. It's in your 401k. It's in your, it's in your, it's in your, you're in trouble. God's working a reversal, and he can take and change the landscape in a moment. Stated differently in verses 6 through 8, we're going to see that, that God is, is raising and lowering people. Verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. That, that, that's a change. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ass, ash heap to make them nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He set the world on them. You know what this strikes at? This American value? The self-made person. Answer me this. We pull ourselves by, up by our what? Our bootstraps. And God would say, and Hannah would reflect in this prayer, everything you have, everything I have, the Lord's given you. The Lord's given me. The Lord's given us. Oh, you don't understand. I'm, I'm really, really, really smart. Okay. Okay. So 93-94 school year, I was in Siberia, and I was on a campus that was the elite in Russia, in the former Soviet Union. This is where they did a lot of their nuclear research, a lot of their weapon stuff, and, and they had really, 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 really smart students. It was set back in a birch forest. I was in the dorms. I knew a number of people, and these, these were Young men and women majoring in engineering and physics and so on. Math, really sharp. You know what their job opportunity was back then in 1993, 94? Zero. That country was in chaos. The best job you could get was driving a cab. Unless you wanted to work for the mafia. Oh, I'm really smart. Well, yeah, who gave you your smarts? And who put you in a position to use them? Self-made person, God doesn't see it. Different area, I swam in high school when I was a sophomore. There was one guy who won state. There's 11 events, it's state meet, two are relays, so there's nine individual events. This guy wins a 200-yard individual medley. He sets the state record, he's a sophomore. And I read an interview with him in the paper. He said, you know, I, I've really worked hard. And I thought, I don't, I don't doubt you have. But there are hundreds into thousands of sophomores who have really worked hard. Most of us didn't even qualify for state. Young man, you were given something that we didn't get. Hannah's crying out, what we have, we have because God gave us. Why do I keep hammering this? Well, in verses 9 and 10, he who keeps the feet of his godly ones but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. Catch this, for not by might shall a man prevail. We're gathering stuff, we're building our muscles, we're gathering our money, we're, we're, we're building our social network. Not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the first time we get this word in Hebrew. And it's the word from which we get Messiah, the Hebrew title that was given to Jesus. 
we're, if we're seeking to prevail by gathering power, by gathering resources, we're going to be shattered. God says we prevail in his presence. That's why there's this hope in powerlessness. What is that hope? God delights. It's his M.O. It's the way he works. God delights in raising up the powerless. He has his own reasons, but at least one of them is, if you're raised up from a powerless position, it ain't about you. It's God, and you can say, yeah, it's God. When the, you know, that's the kind of vehicle through whom God works. I'll give it to him because I had nothing go. And there's all kind of application for this. For some's immediate in the passage and some will be extended, but immediately Israel, they're looking for a king. We'll see this coming up. And why do they want a king? Because everybody else has one, you know, and if you're going to be secure, you better have a king. And so Samuel goes to the Lord and says, hey, they want a king. God says, it's not a good idea because the king's going to take this. The king says, hey, I don't care. We want it. Okay, I'll give you what you want. But when Saul is anointed a king, the, 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 the word choice is very curious. He's anointed as a ruler, not a king. And the implication is, Saul, you will rule under my authority. You are not absolute like these other kings are. And Saul won't get that. He will be out. This has application immediately and throughout history. Verse 11 um, takes us back to the text. We're done with Hannah's prayer. It says this. And Elkanah, remember he's the husband, went to his home in Ramah. What's he got in his home in Ramah? He's got two feuding wives. That's what he's got. And we don't know why he took the second wife, but maybe it was that Hannah was his first wife and she wasn't giving children. And he said, I need some power, I need some influence, and takes a second wife. And that's speculation on my part. But if I'm right, I made a bad decision. In contrast, we have Samuel, second part of verse 11, but the boy, remember, he's just a lad, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. God's going to raise up this lad in his presence. He's going to raise him up where he is the voice of God. If you're a king, if you're a person, you ought to be listening to Samuel. If you're not, you got muchos problemas. you got a lot of trouble. Raised from powerlessness to power. And yet... We want to get our own source of power, don't we? We want to get our own. And sometimes it can be really sudden. So 1997, we come back from overseas. We have no cars. It's very sudden. So we have to buy one car, and we do. We've got one child at this point, and we will soon have a second. And we just find, a, you know, we just can't do it with one car. So we buy a beater car, and that's what I'm going to drive to work. I've got a Honda Civic that's, I don't know, it's about 15 years old, and it just puts along. We wouldn't even put the kids we wouldn't put the kids. I don't think we could fit the kids, the car seats in there, but we just would, for safety, we wouldn't do it. And near the time, end of my time in Arizona, the carburetor is having problems with it and trying to fix it, and it's running kind of finicky. Well, then we moved to Lincoln. Hope drives the kids in the Ultima. I tow this car with, on the back of the U-Haul, and we get to Lincoln, and, and every time I come to a stop sign or a red light, it dies. 
I've got to start it back up. I thought, this is not good. We need to so help. We need to move this along. And so we did, and we traded it in. And I think they almost charged us when we <laughs> traded this thing in. But you know what we got when we traded in? I mean, I know it's something cool. We got a minivan. A minivan, people. And I am feeling good. On Fridays, that was my day off, I would take the kids, and I would take them to the Children's Museum, or I'd take them to Lincoln Zoo. And you know what I'm driving? That's right, a minivan. I'm feeling good. I am, because we haven't had one. I've seen all the other people, and we can sit up, and we could see. And so we had nine months. We moved here, living in an apartment over at 84th and Van Dorn area, and we had a house built. We move in nine months later, and we're in a cul-de-sac, and these neighbors were friends of ours for 10, 12 years, and they were all in the little kid stage, and the kids would go out and play in the cul-de-sac, so we got to know them. And you know what the, one of the neighbors says to me in the conversation? I wouldn't be caught dead in a minivan. Really? Why? They look so bad, she says. There goes my power, people. So she's driving an SUV, but it's harder to get the kids in and out. I don't care. I don't want to be seen in a minivan. There was my, I mean, I thought I had arrived in my minivan and I'm gone. That's funny, kind of, but it shows the folly of looking for power in this world, in the clothes, in the job, in the, in the whatever we do. May we revel in our powerlessness knowing we're looking for God to raise us up. And I would argue that is most seen in how God dealt with Jesus. Philippians 2, uh, this is about Jesus, man, he gives up his credential as God. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now, he was tried as a common criminal. Whipped, beat, spit upon, hung naked on a cross, even death on a cross. You talk about losing power. But, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, we're going to be praising Jesus now into eternity. And you know where that started? In a place of powerlessness. In a place of abject humiliation. Stripped of all his dignity of God. And raised to life. So people hear this message, you think, man, that's a good message. That, man, that is, that, that's, so, that's so, so encouraging, so encouraging. But then I don't know about you, but I, I start thinking about areas in which I feel powerless in. You know what question I ask when I hear this? How long? How long? This reversal, you know, this raising and lowering, and you know, how long? How long am I going to be in this condition? Fortunately, I went to seminary for three years, and I can give you this definitive answer. I don't know. How's that? I don't know. I don't know the mind of God. I will say this. Every day I read five psalms and a proverb. So just for, 
On July 10th, I'll read July 10th, July 4th, I mean Psalm 10, Psalm 40, Psalm 70, Psalm 100, Psalm 130 and Proverbs 10, July 11th, Psalm 11, Psalm 41, blah, 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 blah. So I can get through the Psalms and the Proverbs in a month. So I was doing that this week. Wednesday was the 13th. And what I'm about to show you would come through any day. These are the prayers of God's people, and here's what the psalmist had to say. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? If you go through the psalms, that theme is one that comes through. How long? God's people have felt that from eternity past, present. How long? And that's the faith element in this. It ain't happening. And it sure ain't happening on my time schedule. How long? I don't know. That's why I have to trust God. And we're going to have to hang on to this truth that he raises the powerless to a position of power. If you were with us for the book of Revelation, it told the story of many people who had the ultimate statement of powerlessness. They gave their life. And they wait in heaven right now, crying out. And at the end of Revelation, we talked about the millennium, and we said, let's not get concerned about all male, pre-male, post-male. That's not the point. The point is, these people who gave up power and gave their life will be raised to life while the rest of us continue until the second. They will be raised to life to do what? To rule in the millennial kingdom with God. That is a reward for those who would embrace power. It is fitting with the character of God. How long it's been the cry of God's people. And you and I at some point will be called to hang on when we're wondering how long. Second application, second thought of this, different side of it. God is raising up the powerless to a position of power. But do you know he's using his people to do that? One of the greatest feelings of powerlessness is loneliness and disconnectedness. You, people, you start where people feel powerless is in their relationships. Like, I got nothing going. I went to high school in Chicago for two and two-thirds years. And I'm, I'm probably overstating this, but in a school of 2,000, I feel like I knew 1,800 people. I was a jock, I knew the jocks and the cheerleaders, but I could be in this part of the school where the yearbook was and I knew people there. And I could be in the part of the school with the academic student government. There were students there. I knew people there. I, my lunch could be off, and I could walk in, and I could find a table. I, I just felt like school was a blast socially for me. And then in March of my junior year, we move. I would make sure I caught the bus early. Do you know why? Because I wanted to make sure I got an outside seat so people wouldn't see me crying on the way to school. Because all of a sudden, I was invisible. My power went, <laughs> I remember sitting in chemistry class. If ever there was a class for which I, that I enjoyed and for which I had an affinity, it was chemistry. And right behind me, one row over and one behind me, sat the guy who would lead the district in rushing next year. And in fact, he would get a full-ride scholarship to the University of North Texas. Man, I just hoped he would pay me a little bit of attention. So on homework problems and even on tests, I'd feed him answers, just that he might ask a 
about me. And he was always nice, but he never did. Man, I felt low. And he sat at a table at lunch, and I look back on it. There were uh, at least three guys who would get scholarship to Division I football. I thought, man, it'd be cool to sit at, be invited to sit at that table, but, but I wouldn't dare. Back in Illinois, I would have sat at that table, but our church has people feeling like I felt my junior year at Cy Fair High School in Houston. They're spent. They don't think anybody values them. We need to, the body, to invest in people. All churches, you know, we sing some songs, we hear certain, no, 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 no. You can, look, you could do that at home. We need you investing in people, stepping out. We just came back from uh, the church one-day retreat, and, and people, how was it? It was great. Why? Because we got to invest in one another. We'll do that again next year. Next week, Blake's going to have a time. Uh, he's going to do a song, and then we're going to greet. Why are we doing that to kickstart this thing? Man, we need you. If you're watching online, would you understand COVID's up, and if you need to wait on, but, but when you can, could you come back? We need you to be a part of what? God's process of raising the powerless to a position of power. Would you be a part of his body? of his work. Imagine for a second it's midnight and the power goes out. You're ready, you got a couple flashlights, you got a couple candles, so you pull your, your flashlight and you light your candles, and, and that's your power source. That's how you're going to get around in your house. Now, in my hypothetical, you got a generator out back, and if you could just go back there and throw the switch, well, my golly, your, your source of power would go, We'd go, wait, all the, all the lights would come back in your house. Would you use your flashlight? Would you use your candles to find your way back to that switch? I, I would hope so. Man, if you're living in earthly power, you're getting around with candles. You're getting around with a flashlight. Could I point you to Jesus? Which will you use what you have to Jesus, that whatever powerlessness you're feeling, he could begin that process of raising it. Because see, God delights in raising the powerless to positions of power. Would you pray with me, our Father in heaven? We're grateful for your word and that you do raise the powerless to positions of power. But Lord, it's hard waiting. And it doesn't happen on our time, and it's painful. But, but Hannah's story, and, and David's story, and ultimately Jesus' story, and the story of the martyrs in Revelation remind us, you never fail. <laughs> you raise people entrusted to you to these positions of power. Lord, that we might engage you fully in faith. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.